I'm excited to share with you this morning um, as we are already in week seven of our summer series called Life Is. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we're going to be in chapter eight and nine. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get a head start and flip there to Ecclesiastes chapter eight. And what we're going to be talking about today is this idea that there are things in this world that are beyond our comprehension. There are mysteries that exist, and we've all experienced mysteries to some degree or another. For some people, they point their telescopes up into the night sky, and they see amazing things like this. Universes and stars and black holes and just the expanse of the universe, but the reality is we barely know anything about what's out there. It's still a mystery. There's an unseen world living on us right now and around us. Jamie loves this one. Germs and viruses and diseases and all sorts of weird things that we can't just see with our eyes. But when we look through a microscope, we see these things. But the reality is we don't know all that there is to know about germs and bacteria. We don't even have a cure for the common cold. There's still mysteries that exist. And if anybody has done laundry long enough, you know about the mystery of the missing sock. You put 10 socks into the wash, only nine come out. Two months later, you find that 10th sock somewhere really weird, like underneath a toilet or a bed or something weird like that. You don't know how it got there. It's a mystery. For some of us, we've done a lot of barbecues this summer, and we've grilled up some hot dogs. Why is it that hot dogs come in packs of 10, but the buns only come in packs of 8? And if you go to Trader Joe's and you try to get the healthy kind of hot dogs, they only come in packs of like six. You just can't win. It's a mystery. For a lot of us who watched these guys when we were younger, why is it that in every scene they run around naked, but you watch it and all the scenes where they're at the beach, they have clothes on? It's a mystery. I don't get it. I don't quite understand it. And then there's a mystery that's a little bit more sobering. There's the mystery of death. And it's no mystery that everybody dies, but sometimes it's a mystery why certain people die when they die. I'll never forget when I was 18 years old and I got the phone call from my brother that my dad had died. He was only 52 years old. That's a lot younger than some of you sitting in this room. He was only 20 years older than I am right now. And why I find that so mysterious still is because at the time he died, there was a lady that I knew who was in her 90s that smoked a pack of cigarettes a day and drank rum and coke from the time she woke up to the time she went to bed. Here's this woman wanting to die but can't. Here's my dad who still had a lot of life to live but didn't. Why is that? It's a mystery, and Solomon touches on this idea that there are mysteries in life. There are things that are beyond our comprehension, things that we can't understand. And so we're going to jump to the back of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 to gain a better perspective on the whole passage that we'll be looking at. This will kind of set up the framework for chapter 8 and chapter 9. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 16, he says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom... And to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much he may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. 
even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Solomon just lays it out there that, hey, there are things in life that no matter how hard we try to find out, we just can't. There's a place where our wisdom stops. It only goes so far. Our wisdom is less than God's wisdom. There are mysteries out there that exist. But it's extremely important for us as followers of Jesus to have the right perspective on these mysteries that God allows into our lives. Because I don't think those mysteries are there to confuse us or to lead us astray. I think God allows those mysteries in our lives to actually humble us, to bring us to a place of wonder and awe and worship. And that's our big idea for today, is that God allows mysteries to humble us and lead us to worship. So we're going to look at two chapters, and I'm just going to warn you, we are barely going to scratch the surface of all that we can talk about. And it's hard to fit two chapters into only 30 minutes, so I encourage you, go home today, read through all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, find all the awesome nuggets of wisdom and truth that Solomon has in this book. But today, what I want to focus on is just four ways that we can deal with life's mysteries. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 8. Solomon says, Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing, or the solution of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. And more literally, that's because of your oath to God. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does what he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him. Picks up in verse 9, he says, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. I think the first way we can deal with life's mysteries is to stay committed to those in authority. To stay com committed to those in authority. Because dealing with people who have power over us can often be a mystery. And we can often wonder, and it's a mystery even, how certain people even get into a place of power. You know, we look at them and we're like, seriously, that person... How am I going to deal with that? Because for some of us, it can be tricky because we can run the, the, the potential of losing a job or a promotion. Certain people in certain parts of the world, if they don't deal wisely with those who are in authority, they can even lose their life. So we as Jesus followers have to ask the question, how do we deal with those people who have power over us? Because let's face it, it can be hard because bosses can be jerks. And teachers can be mean and judgmental, and even churches can do things and make decisions that don't sit well with us. And we've all seen presidents and kings make rash decisions that upset a lot of people. So we have to ask the question, how do we deal with that? When is it time for us to change jobs, or to move to a different school, or maybe a different country, or even change 
churches. We have to address those issues. And I, while Solomon doesn't give us all the ins and outs of dealing with those in authority in just these nine verses, I think he does point out the importance of staying committed to those who are in authority. Because in verse 2, Solomon uses, uses this word, keep. It's a verb that doesn't only mean actually obey what the king says. More so, it's this idea of protecting, guarding, and keeping watch over what the king says. It's really similar to what Solomon says in Proverbs 21 when he says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue, whoever guards it, whoever watches over it, keeps himself out of trouble. And so Solomon, I think, is instructing the king's counselors, hey, make sure that you're actually guarding what the king says because of the oath that he made to govern and to watch over God's people. And in verse 3, he says this very important phrase. He says, don't be hasty to leave the king's presence when he does something that doesn't sit well with you. Don't just throw a hissy fit and up and leave and plan some evil plot against him when he does something that you don't like. And Solomon, being a king himself, understands how much power kings have. And in verse 3, he says that they do what they please. In verse 4, it says that their word, his word is supreme. And in verse 9, he recognizes the fact that kings have power over other men, even to their hurt. And so Solomon is giving us some wise counsel in this. Don't just walk up to somebody in authority and say, hey, what are you doing? Boss, you're an idiot. I can't believe you made that choice. Are you serious? And don't just get up and walk away in haste and plot some evil thing against that person who's in authority. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And this is very important. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him. He recognizes that kings and people in authority will make decisions and choices that don't sit well with you, that, that weigh heavy on your heart. And instead of just up and leaving and running away, wait for that opportune time to address those issues that weigh heavy on your heart. Because there is a proper time and there is a right way to even deal with those who are in authority. Because it's very easy to just up and leave and run away when things get hard. I think we've all experienced a time like that. Where we're like, I don't even want to deal with that, so I'm just going to leave. I think there's some wise counsel in here to stay committed long enough to those who are in authority to take advantage of that opportune time when it presents itself to address those burdens on your heart. Now, there's a little caveat to this because I fully understand that there are times when we need to disobey men in order to obey God. And I don't think Solomon is saying, and I'm definitely not saying, that we never leave. There are times when we have to leave schools and workplaces and maybe even churches for us to obey God. I'm not saying we never leave, but I don't think leaving should be our default response when things get hard. Because you never know how God might use you in the midst of that tricky situation to point even somebody who is in authority in the right direction. So I think there's some wise counsel from Solomon in this. And even Paul says in Romans chapter 13, to let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So he recognizes that nobody who has power is there by accident. God has allowed them there. And so I think it would be well for us to just take that into consideration when dealing with those who are in authority. Instead of up and leaving and running away, just staying committed long enough 
to really ask ourselves and search our souls, have, have I waited for that right time, that opportune moment to address the burdens that have been heavy on my heart with the person who's over me? So that's the first thing that we can do. The second thing that we can do is to embrace, embrace the truth that life is full of unfair consequences, unjust triumph, and untimely death. That's kind of a long one. I'll read it again. Embrace the truth that life is full of unfair consequences, unjust triumph, and untimely death. Solomon picks up the same line of thinking. Chapter 8, verse 10, he says, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Picks back up, verse 14, it says, There's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity. Now jumping to chapter 9, verse 2, he says, It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Jumping down again to verse 11, he says, Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. That's a whole lot of verses, and I even cut some out. But in summary, what Solomon is saying is that good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. The evil deeds that people have done in a city, once they die, they are praised for those evil deeds that they once did. People's hearts are filled with more evil because they see that their sin and their evil goes seemingly unnoticed. And so their heart is filled with more evil. And he says, look, just because you're strong doesn't mean you're going to win the battle. And just because you're fast doesn't mean you're going to win the race. And just because you're wise and intelligent, it doesn't mean you're going to prosper. And in the same way that a fish is taken out of a stream or of an ocean by a net, in the same way that a bird is caught in a snare, people die without warning, unannounced. He's just explaining these mysteries in life. We can't know all that there is to know about these things. You know, one of the most common questions that we hear in the church world from both people inside the church and outside the church. They always have this question. If God is good, why do bad things happen? If God really is good, why does it seem that evil prevails? And I know that there are some people who, who try to give a, a very pretty theologically sound answer to that question. But man, we need to be humble enough to realize we don't know why God allows certain things to happen that happen. I don't know why God allowed my friend's nine-month-old child to die the other day. I can't look him in the face and give him an answer. 
I, I, I have to realize that I'm only human and there are things that God allows that I just don't quite understand. But here's what I do know from experience. That when God allows a mystery into my life, I tend to worship a little bit more intensely and I tend to pray a little bit more desperately than I do when things are going well and easy. I hate to say it, but I tend to worship a little bit less when I seem to have all the answers and everything is going really good in my life. You know, I don't think I've ever prayed as hard as I've prayed and as desperately as I've prayed than when Katie and I were going through the adoption process with our son, Xander. And some of you guys know this story. I've talked about it before, but for a year and a half, we didn't know if this kid that we brought home at 15 months old, this kid that we tucked into bed, that we sang songs to, that we read the Bible with, that we fed, we didn't know if he would actually become a McClintock or not. For 15 months, we battled with a biological father to, to try to get the rights to, to Xander. It was, pardon my French, but a pretty sucky time for us spiritually because we just lived in this period of, of not knowing. It was a mystery. But man, we worshiped like we never had before. And we prayed like we never had before. And I'm thankful to say that Xander did eventually come to be with us and it's been an awesome uh, journey. And God showed up in so many powerful ways. But the reality is that if... If, if we didn't have that mystery in our life, I don't think we would have prayed the way that we did and worshiped the way that we did. And I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, if God allows a mystery into your life, don't doubt or wonder if he is good. Let it inspire worship and not disbelief. And I think we would do, be, do well if we took heed of Solomon's wisdom. That, yeah, life is unfair and stuff happens that we're not going to, to understand, but I pray that we would allow that to lead us to a place of worship, would allow us to lead us closer to God than away from God. So that's the second thing that we can do. The third thing we're going to find out is in chapter 9, verse 13. We're jumping around a little bit between chapter 8 and 9. I promise it'll all come together. But Solomon says, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. He's going to tell us a story now. He says, there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege work against it. So one of the ways in which a king would overtake another uh, city is that they would basically barricade that city so that nothing could go in or out. And then once all the people in that city were weak and starved, they would go in, make quick work of it, and take over the city. So here's this strong king getting ready to take over the city. But there was found in this city a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Not told how, just that his wisdom was used to deliver the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, that the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The third way we can deal with life's Mysteries is to remember that strength shouts and wisdom whispers. Strength shouts and wisdom whispers. The mystery here is that wisdom isn't always the most obvious path. And so often it comes from the most unlikeliest of sources. It's very easy for us to listen to the loud shouts in our life 
that drown out that still small voice. So often those shouts come from fools, and we listen to that instead of really stilling our souls long enough to hear God's still small voice of wisdom that he's trying to speak to us. And I can't help but think of Jesus when he was on trial before Pilate when I read this. Jesus was on trial. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And Pilate asked Jesus this in Matthew 27. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is looking at God and he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' four word response is, you have said so. That's the same exact response that Jesus gave to Judas on the night that he was betrayed when Judas went up to Jesus and said, am I the one that's going to betray you? And Jesus said, you have said so. Jesus is deflecting the responsibility back on the person asking the question and it's as if he is saying, you already know the answer. When I read this, that is like the the most wise answer to any question in all of scripture. I absolutely love it. But for Judas, the sound of money was too loud for him to take heed of that word of wisdom that was spoken to him by Jesus on that night. And for Pilate, the sound of the crowd shouting, crucify him. We want Barabbas, crucify him. That was too loud for him that night. And he didn't take heed of that wisdom that was spoken to him by Jesus himself. And the reality is we all have those areas in our life that seem to shout at us and that drown out that voice of God. So I got to ask, what is that for you? Search your heart for a second. What is that thing in your life that seems to just shout so much louder than anything else, that you just seem to listen to and get drawn to so much more than anything else? Is it your job? Is it an unhealthy relationship? Is it success? Is it money? We all have those areas. You see, I'll never forget a couple years ago when the youth group was growing and it was expanding. New kids were coming in on a weekly basis and it was a really exciting time and I got caught up in it. And I'll never forget, there was one night where for whatever reason, we had like a third of the kids that we normally would have had. I don't know if it was finals. I don't know what was going on. But I, I stood up on stage to give the announcements and I looked out and it was pretty sparse. So I, I said out loud, man, where is everybody? And Lewis Brownlee was standing just a couple feet away from me. He's, I don't know, maybe like a sophomore in high school or something. He's just, you know, doing his little thing. He's like, we're all right here. <laughs> just like, duh, Josh, what are you, what are you talking about? Where is everybody? We're all, we're all right here. And man, in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit just dropped, kicked me in the gut. And I was hunched over, gasping for air, looking like an idiot because I had been so caught up in the growth and, and, and the success of the youth ministry that I lost sight of the people who were right there in front of me. I was more concerned about who wasn't there than who was there. And that little whisper of wisdom came from a high school student. Josh, we're all right here. What do you mean, where are we? So what is that area in your life that just seems to shout and drown out God's still small voice? I think Solomon is telling us, hey, turn on your listening ears because wisdom often comes from unlikely places and it's often in a gentle whisper. That's the third way that we can deal with life's mysteries. Now we're going to backtrack a little bit 
and talk more about how we can respond to mysteries. We've talked about in our big idea that they should humble us and lead us to a place of worship. But I think Solomon expounds on this a little bit more. The fourth way is going to be found in verse 15 of chapter 8. Solomon says, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. Finally, some happy stuff, right? He says, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. He's going to continue the same train of thought in chapter 9, verse 7, when he says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, real quick, before you think you can just go get plastered at a party and drink whatever you want, Solomon gives us some wise instruction, verse 8. He says, Let your garments be always white, and let not oil be lacking on your head. These symbolize not only celebration, but white garments would symbolize purity and righteousness. And oil often symbolized the spirit of God. And I think Solomon is getting to this point that, yes, celebrate life with friends. And it's okay to enjoy your wine and your food. There's nothing wrong with that. But do it in a way that's right before God and that is spirit-filled. Celebrate life in a way that doesn't lead you to sin or somebody else to sin. So yes, enjoy this life that God has given us. He picks up in verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do it, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. I think the fourth way we can respond to those mysteries in our life is to respond to them with joy and faith. Respond to them with joy and faith. I think Solomon's point in this is to not get so caught up in all the what-ifs of life and all of life's uncertainties that we fail to actually live life. So real quick, by show of hands, how many of you have ever worried about something that never actually happened? right? We're getting ready to go on a vacation and we're thinking, I'm going to die in a car accident tomorrow. Oh my gosh. And we stay up and then we get to our destination safe. We worry about all of these what ifs in life. And the reality is all the uncertainty of life, all of those what ifs, they increase our misery and our fear and our anxiety and they rob us of joy. And I think Solomon is trying to teach us, yes, there are some mysteries in life, but enjoy life in the midst of them. And this comes easier for some than others. I realize that there are people that really struggle with anxiety. And I'm not trying to just say, hey, just change your mind. Read this one Bible verse and everything will be okay. Sometimes some deep counseling is needed. Sometimes medication is needed. But I hope that these verses bring you some comfort if you're sitting here wondering, how can I celebrate life when all this stuff is going on? It's so easy to say, it's so hard to do. I hope that these verses that Solomon speaks give some comfort to you. He says in verse 12 of chapter 8, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. I don't know everything. One thing I do know that it will be well with those who fear God. Maybe not today but one day it will be. And Pastor Scott talked about this idea of fearing God. It's not that we're scared of him. It's that we are reverent of him. We have the right respect towards him. And I think the best way that we can respect God is to actually believe him and to trust him 
Psalm says, those who fear God, it will be well with them. He continues on in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I laid all this to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Those who are right with God are in his hands. But here's the thing. The only way that you can be right with God is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Being right with God means that we believe Jesus really is who he says he is. That he lived a perfect, sinless life. And that he died to pay the penalty for our sins. And that three days later, he rose from the grave, validating everything that he claimed. And the promise is that for those of us who put our faith in Jesus and follow him, we are adopted into his family and we are in his hands. And scripture says nobody can pluck us out of his hands. See, being in the hands of God gives us the ability to live in an uncertain, mysterious world with joy. So are you in his hands? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? I read a story this past week of a lady. She did place her faith in Jesus, and she got some pretty bad news from her doctor's appointment. She went in, and she found out that she had cancer that couldn't be treated, Radiation wasn't going to work. They couldn't remove it. The doctor said, you have X amount of time to live. This cancer is going to kill you. She got that news. She went home. She called up all of her friends, all of her family members, all of her neighbors, and said, hey, you guys got to come over. I'm going to throw a party. So all of her friends came over, and they had this awesome party, and she gave them the news. And she said, look, I didn't call this party to get sympathy. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want your pity. I also didn't call this party together to celebrate cancer because it's a wicked evil and I don't wish that on anybody. I called this party, I called you all here so that we can celebrate today. So that we can celebrate this moment because tomorrow isn't a guarantee. She fully understood, yes, I have cancer and yes, I only have, you know, the doctors tell me I only have six months to live, but the reality is she could have died in a car accident on her way to the doctor's appointment the next day. So she gained a new perspective on life. She said, I just want to celebrate this moment that God has given me. And I think that's what Solomon is trying to teach us here. Yes, there are uncertainties in life. Yes, things are going to happen that don't make sense, that make us say, why? But don't allow those things to rob you from the joy that God has given you. Celebrate life even in the midst of those uncertainties because here's the strange thing is that when we respond to mystery with joy and faith we in turn become a mystery to people who are watching us you just got diagnosed with cancer how is it that you're so joyful how is it that you have a smile on your face when all of this stuff is going on in your life That gives us an opportunity to point them to the only source of hope and truth and life in this universe, and that is Jesus. So the question is, what kind of mystery are you walking through right now? And how might your joy and faith point someone else to Jesus? Because people are watching us. When we put that stake in the ground and say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, it seems like everybody just watches us a little bit more intensely and listens to our words a little bit more closely. So how might God use us even in the midst of our mystery to point other people to Jesus? 
Now, there's just four ways I think we can deal with some of life's mysteries. And as we close, I want to give some next steps. These are just things that we can do to help us apply this message so that it becomes more than just words on a Sunday morning. And so for the first one, pray for those who are in authority. And I was convicted because, you know, I read through chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, and I struggled, like, man, how am I going to teach on this? You know, there's some controversial stuff. And I just was convicted. I don't pray enough for the people who are in authority. It's really easy to go on social media and bash people for what they do and the choices that they make when we don't agree with it. What would happen if we converted that energy into prayer and actually prayed to a God who could change things? Paul even tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we can pray for those who are in authority. That's the first thing that we can do. Another thing that we can do is to practice worshiping in the midst of your mystery. Because the reality is, there's a lot of stories happening right now behind the scenes in all of your lives. I don't know each one of you. I don't know what you're walking through, but I truly believe that we all have those things in our life right now that God has allowed into our life where we're saying, why? Some of you have wayward children that have turned their back on the faith and on the church, and you're wondering, why are you doing that? Why are you making those choices? Some of you have financial situations that you don't understand how you're going to make ends meet. There's a situation going on maybe with your marriage. You don't know how it's going to last. We all have those areas in our lives where we just don't fully understand. So what has helped me and what I hope can help you is if you take all of those uncertainties that you can think of, write them down on a sticky note or a small piece of paper. So whatever that looks like for you, write it on a piece of paper, put it on your table. Then get a physical Bible, not your phone, a physical Bible, put it over that piece of paper and cover it up so you can't see it. And then flip to Psalm 142 and start reading all the way to Psalm 150. And as you read through those Psalms, you're going to start off by just confessing, God, my, there, my soul is restless right now. There are things happening that I don't understand. It seems like evil is prevailing. It seems like the enemy is winning. And then you're going to start to transition into God's bigness and his greatness and how he has delivered people his people from pretty crazy situations. And you're going to look at the, how just glorious God is and how big he is. And I promise by the time you get done reading Psalm 142 to 150, your perspective will change if you really go into it with a heart that desires to seek God. Those situations that are underneath your Bible aren't going to leave in 15 minutes. You're still going to wonder about those things but your perspective will change and God will eclipse those uncertainties and those what-ifs and you'll now be gazing at God and not the mystery. So that's one way that you can worship even in the midst of your mystery. The last thing that we can do is to throw a party and give thanks to God. I don't know if we celebrate as, uh, as much as we should as Christians. And this, the, you know, the, the term party might like rub you the wrong way because you're thinking back to your high school or college days and you're like, Josh, you don't want to know what my partying looked like. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll and I'm not going there, okay? Remember, 
We are, we're doing this in, in a right way, in a way that's pleasing to God. It doesn't lead us or other people to sin. But man, throw a party and give thanks. Celebrate life. It doesn't have to be this big thing. You don't have to plan a theme and you know, do, decorate. Do it with your spouse or your family or your community group. Call up some neighbors. Say, hey, I'm ordering some pizza and we just want to celebrate this day that we have. Celebrate the monsoon season and the rain. We just want to give thanks for this day because tomorrow is not guaranteed. We can celebrate this moment that God has given us because the reality is there's a lot of what-ifs in life. There's a lot of things that can rob us of joy and that can distract us from Jesus. So what if we responded to those things a little bit different? And what if all those mysteries are really meant to humble us and bring us to a place of worship? Let's pray.